0: Do you wonder how the ancient truth of the Bible intersects with today's news? Do you believe in God's promises to the people and the land of Israel? Welcome to the Lone Star Podcast, a weekly conversation to expand your mind and encourage your soul. Our hosts live in the two Lone Star states, Rabbi Dove Lippman in Israel and Pastor Trey Graham in Texas. This podcast is your opportunity to learn the truth about the God of Israel from two people who love Israel. Please follow us on Twitter at Lone Star Podcast to learn when new weekly episodes are ready. You ready to be encouraged? Please join Rabbi Dove Lippman and Pastor Trey Graham.
1: We do welcome you to this Christmas week edition of the Lone Star Podcast. This is Pastor Trey Graham, as always, joined by my good friend, Rabbi Dove Lippman, who just finished a wonderful celebration of Hanukkah. How are you, my friend?
2: On uh, a spiritual high, Pastor. There's no other way to describe it. Eight days, uh, lighting the menorah, bringing, so much as the candelabra, bringing spiritual light to a world of darkness celebrating the, the miracles that occurred thousands of years ago but at the time the story of Hanukkah with the Jews defeating the Greeks but reminding ourselves that those miracles happen today as well. So it's been a, uh, and they're happening today. It's been a spiritual high and being in Israel, being in the Holy Land, seeing the celebration everywhere. It's really, really been fantastic. And now it's time for me to hand the torch over to you for your holiday season.
1: It's right. This is Christmas week. We celebrate the birth of Jesus, who we believe is the Savior and the Messiah. We'll talk more about Christmas in a few minutes, but let's look at the news of this week. On Thursday of this past week, the United Nations decided to have an emergency assembly of all 193 member states for the tragic and world-changing situation that America decides to stand with Israel. We're not going to have an emergency gathering of the UN because of president assad of syria kills hundreds of thousands of his own people we're not going to do this because putin and russia we're not going to have a, a general assembly emergency meeting for all the tragedies going on in the world but because the president of the united states says that israel's capital is jerusalem all the nations of the world need to hurry to new york so they can vote against it
2: i gotta tell you <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm blessed to be involved now in an organization called Innovation Africa. There are 600 million people in Africa that don't have electricity. And this is an Israeli uh, organization that's trying to uh, make a difference about this issue. 600 million people don't have electricity. 300 million people don't have clean water. And this is what the United Nations is focused on, is the American embassy being in Jerusalem versus Tel Aviv. It boggles the mind. But I want to tell you something, Pastor, and I see this a little bit of a Hanukkah miracle, and a holiday season miracle as well, and I want to say, all the prayers of all the listeners and all the Christians around the world who pray for Israel, this had an impact, because I'm not even focusing on the fact that they had the vote, which is absurd. I'm not focusing on the 128 countries that voted to chastise the United States for this decision about Jerusalem as a capital. I'm focusing on the fact that there were 35 countries that abstained and nine countries that voted against. This is a UN which has notoriously been anti-Israel all across the board, with the exception of the United States. And I'm going to focus on these countries that chose to abstain or vote against because this, from my perspective, is significant. People who woke up and said, do we really, really... Want to vote and chastise the United States for declaring Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. And I'm going to focus on those countries and the miracle that we even got that far. And I think that it shows some level of progress and God's blessing. And I will say one more thing. I saw Nikki Haley as I watched her speech on Thursday. I watched her talk about the United States is going to remember who votes. To chastise us, who votes against Israel. Uh, and we'll remember that because we don't have to be an open checkbook to everyone in the world. And I could not stop thinking about Genesis. Chapter 12: That those who bless Israel are blessed, and those who curse Israel are—you will not receive that blessing, and they can receive the opposite. And I almost feel like that was a moment where that verse was happening just openly. You want to go against Israel? <laughs> go against Israel, but you'll suffer the consequences for it. And those who bless us will be blessed. And I look forward to seeing the countries who stood with Israel, the countries such as Guatemala. Honduras, the Marshall Islands, Micronesia, uh, Togo, and other countries, they're the ones who hopefully will see great blessing, and even the ones who abstained, you know, that I, I understand we would rather have them vote against, but it was still courageous to not go with the flow of 128 countries in the U.N., and as you said, it shows the complete irrelevance of the United Nations, the complete lack of being there to do good for the world, and essentially being a body which gets together uh, to bash Israel. You know, I walked into the UN, I was there two weeks ago to visit, and it was my first time uh, in the main building there, uh, where the General Assembly, and you walk in, and the first thing that I saw on the, they have facing you when you walk in is a placard of Yasser Arafat's picture, and a speech that he gave in the General Assembly. Yasser Arafat, an Islamic jihadist terrorist leader, who the blood of who knows how many people are on his hands, innocent people, that's who's being worshipped. So uh, I hope, and I'm going to say this very openly, I hope the United States starts cutting budgets. I hope that all of you as taxpayers will see your money going to fruitful and beneficial, spiritual, godlike things, and not the United Nations.
1: The vote on Thursday at the United Nations was 128 in support, 9 against, and as you mentioned, 35 nations abstained. And you can read the full text online if you look it up, the UN resolution regarding Jerusalem. But here's one statement about it. Expressing in this regard its deep regret at recent decisions concerning the status of Jerusalem, this body affirms that any decisions and actions which purport to have altered the character, status, or demographic composition of the holy city of Jerusalem have no legal effect are null and void and must be rescinded in compliance with relevant resolutions of the Security Council. And in this regard, calls upon all states to refrain from the establishment of diplomatic missions in the holy city of Jerusalem, pursuant to resolution 478 of the Security Council. And there's more text besides that. So in one regard, Rabbi, you can look at this and be very angry. You can say, first of all, Why are you all anti-Bible and you don't understand that God gave the land to the Jews and specifically the holy city of Jerusalem to King David who made it the capital of the Jewish people 3,000 years ago? And why are you trying to pretend that what is true is not true? And you can get really angry and worked up about it. Or you could look at the same news story and say, who cares what they say? It will change nothing on the ground. <laughs> Donald Trump's not going to change what he decided to do with encouragement slash pressure from many American voters. Nikki Haley, our ambassador to the U.N., is not going to change what she does. The Israeli government is not going to change what it does. So you can get very worked up about a news story or totally apathetic about the same news story. And I find that very interesting.
2: Absolutely, 100%. And I'm going to go one step further, though, because Israel, as you said, is not going to pay very much attention to it with the exception of one thing of how the United States stood up for Israel. That, that's very significant, to see the U.N. ambassador standing up and standing with Israel and, and saying, you can do what you want in the U.N., we're staying with Israel, the capital is Jerusalem. That was very powerful, That's very meaningful, and I think that it's a moment where United States citizens can be very proud of their country and its leadership for, for doing what's right and for sticking with the Bible-based spiritual country that the United States really should be.
1: You mentioned Genesis 12, verse 3 earlier. God said to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And in you, Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Our church depends on, we live by Genesis 12, 3, that we want to bless God. We want to bless the people of God, the land of God. So the United Nations is willfully deciding to ignore and to condemn the decision of the Americans to move the embassy to Jerusalem. So they are putting themselves on the side of the ledger that says, we're going to curse Israel. And as you say, we trust that God's word is true. And then when God makes a promise of blessing or a promise of cursing, that's going to happen. And so as we believe Genesis 12, let's turn our attention to this week's Torah portion. It also comes from the book of Genesis. This is the weekly portion of the Bible that the Jews gather around the synagogue and around the dinner table and study every week. This week's Torah portion comes from Genesis chapters 44 through 47. In Hebrew, it's called Vayagash, and the translation is, and he approached, or and he drew near. And it's talking about the reconciliation between Joseph and his brothers now rabbi on our previous podcasts and the previous torah portions we've discussed that joseph was the favorite of the father And Jacob was showing favoritism to this son, Joseph. His older brothers were jealous and angry, and they wanted to kill him. They sold him into slavery. He goes down to Egypt. He becomes a slave. He becomes a servant of the ruler of Egypt, known as Pharaoh. And because of his faithfulness, his obedience, his consistency, his integrity, God blesses him and promotes him, and he becomes the number two man in all of Egypt. And then we know that Pharaoh, we discussed it last week, had a dream that there would be seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine. And Joseph interprets the dream. And because of that dream, they save their money. They save their crops and their grain. And when the drought comes, they end up having food when no one else has any food. And so the people of all the nations around them come to Egypt because Egypt's the only place that has food. And that includes the people of Israel from the promised land, the land of Canaan, the land of Israel. Joseph's brothers show up begging for food, not knowing their younger brother, the one that they had sold as a slave, is now the one who controls their fate. So before we jump into the resolution of the story, talk about the moral decision, the spiritual decision that Joseph has to make. He can choose to bless or he can choose to curse. Talk about his dilemma.
2: I often ask myself, imagine being a brother. Your brothers take you, throw you into a pit Sell you into slavery and send you off forever, and then all of a sudden the roles are reversed and you're confronted with the opportunity to completely avenge what they've done to, or do nothing. The, the level of righteousness, and by the way, Joseph is the only Bible figure that we call the righteous. He's called Yosef Hatzadik, Joseph the righteous. Ability to put aside the past and say, you know what, I, the brothers have changed, have expressed regret of what they've done wrong and the capacity to forgive, and the capacity to reconcile, and to say, let's move on together instead of me paying paying back uh, for things that were done in the past, is uh, perhaps the, one of the greatest inspirations in the Bible. Because if there was anyone who could have been justified to take revenge, it was Joseph. If there was anyone who could have been justified to say, let me just enjoy my life as the king of Egypt, as the ruler of Egypt, and let these guys go home and struggle in the land of Canaan and Israel— it was Joseph. And yet he understood that what God wants is unity. God wants to see the family together, certainly the 12 tribes of Jacob. And he needs to be better and bigger than someone who is vengeful and spiteful. And it's an incredible inspiration because I'm in a world where you have family rivalries, you have political rivalries, you have theological disputes, and you know, obviously, if someone is continuing to persecute, if someone is continuing to hurt, then you have a responsibility to defend yourself. And we even have a biblical uh, Talmudic principle that those who come to hurt you or kill you, you, you go after them. But if, the, if everything is put to the side, to be, have the ability to say, we're going to now unify together, and we're going to love one another, and we're going to strive to have a, a world Uh, where people get along with each other, where we recognize that everyone's created in God's image. Loving your neighbor like yourself. All of these messages, that is what I take uh, from this story and the inspiration of Joseph. And, you know, whether it's in communities and cities, states and countries and families, even within churches and synagogues, within our schools, the ability to, okay, we can have disagreements. We resolve it, we vote on it, whatever we do, and then we move on and we try to get by together that is extremely, extremely uh, important message.
1: As you mentioned, the forgiveness that Joseph shows to his brothers, the ones who had hurt him, who tried to kill him, he showed amazing grace and amazing forgiveness. And what happens is the brothers come and they beg him for food to take back to their father, his father, Jacob, back in the land of Israel. And he puts them to the test. He asks if their father is still alive. He asks if they're Youngest brother Benjamin is still alive. They go back and tell their father that they have met Joseph. They've met their brother, and Jacob is an old man. We learn later he's 130 years old. He doesn't believe it. And if you read the text, Rabbi, you know this that he was sold by his brothers as a slave at age 17. That's when he leaves home. This is 22 years later. He's now the age of 39. For 22 years, the father has been dreading and fearing and grieving over the loss of his son. And what emotions this old man, Jacob, 130 years old, must be experiencing as he hears that his beloved son is alive and that he's the one that's going to save the family.
2: This is one of the most dramatic moments uh, that you see, actually, in the Bible where Jacob hears that Joseph is alive and that he's the one who's going to provide the salvation. And the the, the Bible... uh, it describes how all of a sudden Jacob had a renewed spirit. He actually didn't believe them at first. We're in chapter 45, of uh, verses 26 and 27, and it says, And his spirit was lifted again, and he says, I have to go see him right away. And then you actually have the moment where they meet each other. And I want to point this out because the, the, the commentaries actually have a, a fascinating description of you know, that moment. It says in chapter 46, verse 29, Joseph you know, himself readies his chariot. He goes to greet his father. He sees him, and he falls on his father's neck. He cries, and it doesn't say that Jacob cried. And the commentary is asking, why doesn't it say that they both cried? Why is it only Joseph that cried? And it says that Jacob took that moment of joy, of thanks to God, and channeled it to the greatest prayer imaginable, the Shema. He just recited this praise of God. So he even did not focus on his son at that moment, but he focused on God. And he channeled that great happiness into this spiritual elevation and what an incredible lesson for all of us as well. you know we live in a world where there are things that make us happy. there are things where we experience God's deliverance, we see uh, blessing and to take that moment and say, I'm going to focus on it, I'm going to harness it and I'm going to grow even higher spiritually. That's, that's true greatness, and that's what Jacob uh, modeled over here. He just also, to see how it all comes together, how God is behind the scenes and pulling the strings and making it all work, and I, I know for sure that's certainly a core Christian value and belief as well.
1: Yes, there's a very interesting comparison between the life of Jesus, and it's the week of his birth that we celebrate here at Christmas. Pastor Mike Mott from King of Kings Church in Jerusalem gave a very interesting Bible lesson, and he compared the lives of Jesus and Joseph, that they were both beloved by the Father. In this case, we believe Jesus, heavenly Father, is the Lord God. They were rejected by others. They both went down to Egypt. They were both falsely accused. They were both betrayed for pieces of silver. Their accusers were remorseful. In fact, it says they both began their public role or public ministry at the age of 30. They were put on trial and accused, but they gave no defense of themselves. They were Both put into prisons. They were both wise counselors. And as Christians, we believe when Jesus said he is the bread of life, that he's the one who gives us spiritual food, well, all the nations of the earth came to Joseph to get food. And so there's a lot of very interesting comparisons. We believe that many of the events of the Old Testament foreshadow or point to events of the New Testament. And this is one of those that Joseph is a man of character, he's a man of integrity, Sadiq, as you call him, a man of righteousness. And we believe. I believe that points to jesus and i think one of the great verses to demonstrate the righteousness of joseph comes from genesis 45 verse 5 after the revelation to his brothers that he is the one that they now bow down to the one that they're begging food from they expect him to carry out revenge but he shows forgiveness and grace and then genesis 45 verse 5 he says do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here For God sent me before you to preserve life. And then verse 7, God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. So on a practical level, if we believe that God made a covenant promise to the Jewish people, then the Jewish people can't die of a famine in the promised land. They have to stay alive. And that wouldn't have happened if they didn't have someone in Egypt that had food that interpreted the dream to save the food so people could eat, so there's the practical keeping of the covenant, and Joseph understood that. He said, God sent me before you to preserve life, and if we believe that Jesus is the one who gives us forgiveness for our sin as Christians, and he is sent from God to do that, there's a lot of parallels there at this Christmas season for us as Christians.
2: Absolutely, and that's beautiful that this is something uh, which we share this value of of recognizing God providing that sustenance and even when things look the worst, po- I mean Joseph was at the worst possible place just a little while ago in the story, in terms of being in- and imprisoned and enslaved, and and all of a sudden the turnabout happens, and now he's in the position to help his brothers, and he rises to the occasion, and he does it uh, really uh, just to see God behind the scenes and God's salvation and God providing, and that's a perspective that that we share, and we have to make sure that we highlight and talk about, and when we talk about the Judeo-Christian relationship, uh, to be very open about what those beliefs are, what those values are that we share, and be able to strengthen each other, even during hard times, uh, because of that joint belief
1: that we have. I want you to address this one piece of the story, and that is when Jacob, the old man, and the brothers show up and Joseph greets them. Then Joseph introduces his dad, Jacob, to his boss, Pharaoh, and it says that Jacob... The old man, the Jew, who's not in any power, he is the guest in the land of the Pharaoh. And it says that Jacob blessed the Pharaoh, that he gave a blessing to him. What do you think that means? And what does it mean to us that we should bless others even if they are in power before us? Because this verse is Genesis 47 verse 10, Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from his presence.
2: We, by the way, understand, you know, blessing, obviously, we're saying to God, you know, bestow your blessing on this person. And uh, that's very important uh, to remember, you know, especially in a culture, you're talking about pagan Egypt. You're talking about a place where certainly pharaohs uh, created a, a, an image of themselves as God. You can go to Egypt and see, you know, images on, on the walls and in different places of the pharaohs being worshipped. And to drive home that point that, uh, yes, they are leaders, but God has put them in that place. And we pray to God to, to, to bless them, to guide them, to be there for them. And this is the first example that we really see of that taking place in the Bible where a, Lowly, so to speak, humble person comes before a king and offers that blessing. This is something, by the way, we do in our synagogues uh, every single week in any country in the world. Uh, there's a blessing to the, to this Saturday you know, in, in the United States in synagogues. They're going to get up after they read the Torah portion, and they're going to say a blessing for the President of the United States and the Vice President. God should bestow them with with wise counsel and, and make good decisions and with righteousness and, and, and to create a country that's spiritual in nature and, and faith-based in nature, that the blessing comes from God and not from the leader themselves. That's, a, that's an important lesson uh, for us to always remember, because sometimes you know, we live in a physical world and we see these leaders. Uh, we were talking earlier about the UN vote and these you know, country leaders making decisions. They're just human beings, and there's a God who runs the show. And I think that's what I think about uh, when I see uh, Jacob providing this blessing uh, to Pharaoh. Uh, what does that blessing say to you?
1: It says gratitude. It says, you have honored my son. You have welcomed my son. You promoted my son. It's it's a gratitude for how you've blessed my family. Mm -hmm. It's provision of food and a place to live. They lived in the land of Goshen, the part of the Nile Delta region there in Egypt, the fertile lands where they could grow their crops and graze their animals. And it's a thank you to God that you've provided for me. You gave me favor, God, with this man who really has power of life And death over me, and it's humility, it's appreciation that Jacob got to live long enough to be reunited with his son. And Rabbi, I want us to look at the brothers for a second. We've talked about Joseph showing forgiveness to the brothers when he didn't have to, but what do you think they learned from this? They experienced guilt and sorrow and grief and embarrassment over their treatment of the brother who now had power over them. And they were taught, I think. Forgiveness, and they were—it wasn't just said; it was modeled to them. How do you think they went away from the interaction being forgiven by Joseph?
2: It's a great example of what modeling uh, can do as they prepare to see how would this interaction be, what would the relationships be like, and seeing the the forgiveness and the gratitude and the thankfulness and bringing God into the picture and all of that. That was all part of this reconciliation. Without without God in the picture, without the gratitude to to God, and without the recognition of God, there's no way uh, for that gratitude to happen. But like you said earlier, knowing that it's God who has made all this happen, as Joseph said, that enables them to achieve this level of, of unity, and, and, and put behind them the issues that tore them apart before, and they absolutely learnt uh, that trait of, of forgiveness. And the amazing thing is, when it describes the family of Israel coming down to Egypt, and it talks about, it literally lists them, and it talks about the, the, the numbers of people that came. It actually says that there were 70 people that came. And this is in chapter 46, verse 27. It uses the Hebrew word nefesh, which means soul, instead of nefashot, which would mean souls. It's in the singular, not in the plural. And that comes to capture that they did unify behind Jacob. They did unify behind Joseph. They were one solid unit. And that's thanks largely to the leadership of Jacob on the one hand, Joseph for sure, and also Judah who eventually becomes the father of the kings of Israel, who was able to approach Joseph and plead his case and, and work towards that unity
1: uh, as well. We know that Judah is the tribe that King David comes from and King Solomon yeah. comes from, and the New Testament says that Jesus is a descendant of King David, and he comes from the tribe of Judah. That's why Christians call Jesus the Lion of Judah. But I did want to ask you about Judah. I know you've taught us that Judah and Yehuda and Jew, and Todah, which means thanks or thank you in Hebrew. They're all related to each other. Talk about the significance of Judah being the one who creates reconciliation here among the brothers and Joseph, and how that gives us part of the heritage of your family name, the Jews.
2: Yeah, 100%. If you turn back, actually, it's a few Torah portions before where we are right now. Uh, You actually have the births. Uh, of the tribes, and jacob 's wife, Leah, who he actually did not want to marry at first, has four sons uh, that one after another essentially, and this is in chapter twenty nine verse thirty five and it says that she had a child and named him Yehuda. Uh, named in Judah, because now she gives thanks to God. The whole idea of gratitude, of, of recognizing, and, and Yehuda also can mean admitting, admitting that God is the one who runs the world, and in giving that thanks to God for it, that is the essence of who we are as a people, a people that can recognize the good that's done, that's done to us, And the ultimate good that's done to us is God and being ready to admit that we are human beings and we have our failings, and without God we cannot accomplish anything. That is the essence uh, of who we are uh, as a Jewish people, and that goes to the core uh, of our name as descendants, essentially, of the tribe of Judah.
1: And as we wrap up our conversation today, it is Christmas week, and this Shabbat leads us to... Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, which are coming up soon. And we as Christians celebrate Christmas and we give gifts and presents because we believe God gave the ultimate gift, which was the Savior, the Messiah, Jesus. And so the gifts that we give of toys or clothes or jewelry, they're items, they're possessions, they're really insignificant, but they're used as symbols to remind us that God gave the greatest gift which is his son, the savior, the promised Messiah, we believe. And so this Christmas season, it's one where we need to be thankful. We need to be thankful for the earthly stuff we have, a roof over our head and food on the table and a job and a bed to sleep in and clothes and health and all of the earthly things. But we need to be thankful for higher things for spiritual things that we have a personal god he's not a distant god he's a personal god that we can know we can be thankful that he gave us the word of god the scriptures the bible that we get to study we're talking genesis chapters 44 through 47 today something written like four thousand years ago and we're getting to read it and talk about it on the radio on the telephone continents and oceans apart We need to be thankful this Christmas season.
2: And I would like to take that a step further because we as Jews are not celebrating Christmas. We're not Christians. It's not part of our faith. But I I do believe that we can join very much in that spirit of thanks. And it actually relates to the story that we were just talking about, and I'll tell you why. There was parts of our history, and, and Pastor, we've talked openly about this, where there were uh, tensions and really difficult relationships between the Christian community and the Jewish community. Uh, and in fact, Christmas Eve, there were times in our history where these were dangerous, dangerous nights for the Jews, as Christians who did not. I think, worship their faith properly, use these knights as excuses to to actually go out and kill Jews and persecute Jews. And now I look at where we are, where... We can live, you know, Jews live in the United States or in Israel, and Christians all around them are celebrating Christmas in the spirit that it should be. Everything that you just described. And there's no fear, and there's no suspicions, and there's no issues. And in fact, it's just the opposite. There's love, and there's support. And that's why seeing, you know, a devout Christian like Nikki Haley stand up in the United Nations right before Christmas and stand with Israel and Jerusalem— this is exactly that turnabout, just like uh, at a certain level we had Joseph and his brothers having to come to a reconciliation and both sides having to embrace that renewed relationship and put beyond the past because we're ready to move forward. That's something which I, I have to say I'm tremendously thankful for, that we can approach, approach a Christmas which is so different than it was hundreds of years ago and where I know Christians are going to their churches and they're praying for the people of Israel and they're praying for the Jewish people and they're praying for all the things that we support together. And therefore, I join in thanks. Thanks to the Christian community. Thanks to those who love Israel. Thanks to those who support us. It means so much to us. And that's something that I'm going to be thinking about for sure over this next few days on the holidays. And my blessing uh, to all of our Christian brothers and sisters as we approach Christmas and New Year's and this whole uh, holiday season is that we take the spirit of spirituality, we take the spirit of friendship, of love, of joy, of happiness that often uh, manifests itself just in these days, and bring it to the rest of the year. Let's together shine, bring light to the world, filled with spirituality, filled with love for one another, showing the world what faith in God is like, what what people of faith, how they live their lives. And hopefully if we do that together, that is something which will just bring, like I said, tremendous light to the world. And we can then stand up proudly and say, uh, we're fulfilling our mission. And that's what I bless all of our brothers and sisters with in this holiday
1: season. I say to my rabbi friend, thank you and amen. And the last comment I would make today is our Jewish friends and many Christians. Just finished Hanukkah. We, Rabbi, you know this, have a menorah in our house and we talk about the Hanukkah story with my Christian Texan children. We light menorah candles and Hanukkah candles and we celebrate the light of God. And we at Christmas, as Christians, believe that Jesus is the light of God and the light of the world who arrived and we celebrate his birth at Christmas. And so it's a beautiful connection and a beautiful time of the year. And so, Rabbi, my friend, blessings to you and your family and Shabbat Shalom.
2: Thank you. Blessings to you and happy holidays to everyone filled with happiness, health, family, and only
0: good things. Thank you for joining us for the Lone Star Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Lone Star Podcast to learn when new episodes are ready. Please join Rabbi Dove Lipman and Pastor Trey Graham next time to expand your mind and encourage your soul. May the Lord bless you and draw you to himself this week.